Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that ponders the purpose of cars and transport. I'm David Brown, and in this program we look at news stories including Volvo begins the first ever Australian test for preventing kangaroo car accidents. We have two chats about the recent Tokyo Motor Show. Brent Davidson gives us the technical rundown on the nature of the show and some of the significant trends it presented, while our quirky news panel gives the highlights of the weird vehicles that are always part of this Japanese event. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now let's get the program going. First the news. It was Holden that first talked about designing cars that could better cope if they hit a kangaroo. Now, Volvo is developing technology to try and help avoid accidents with kangaroos in the first place. A radar sensor in the grille scans the road ahead to detect moving objects like animals, cars, cyclists and pedestrians. A very advanced, light-sensitive, high-resolution camera in the windscreen works in parallel with the radar to detect which way the object is moving and help the computer decide what action to take, if any. In Sweden, Volvo has done research involving larger, slower-moving animals like elk, reindeer and cows. Kangaroos create special needs. They are smaller than these animals and their behaviour is more erratic. A study by the University of Michigan performed a preliminary analysis of the on-road safety record of self-driving vehicles for three of the ten companies that are currently approved for such vehicle testing in California. Taking into account the fact that the distance accumulated by self-driving vehicles is still relatively low and that the vehicles were driven only in limited conditions, the study identified that the results were not conclusive but self-driving vehicles were not at fault in any crashes they were involved in. Furthermore, the overall severity of crash-related injuries involving self-driving vehicles has been lower than for conventional vehicles. Nissan will offer Pilot Drive 1.0 by the end of 2016 in Japan, which allows for autonomous driving under heavy highway conditions. By 2018, the company hopes to implement a multi-laned piloted drive, and by 2020, vehicles will successfully manage city urban roads, including intersections. Nissan has developed two innovative technologies that will make piloted driving possible on city urban roads. The first is the miniature high-specification laser scanner. Currently, in its prototype stages, the laser scanner determines the distance between the vehicles and its surroundings through the use of precise three-dimensional measurement that enables the vehicle to navigate routes in tight spaces. The other technology is an eight-way 360-degree view camera system that allows for accurate routing decisions when driving through intersections and sharp curving roads. Driving when drowsy is obviously dangerous, but what about less obvious situations like simple absent-mindedness? The Mitsubishi Electric Corporation has developed a technology to detect absent-mindedness and other cognitive distraction in drivers using a type of machine learning algorithm known as deep learning. 
The new technology uses a machine learning algorithm to analyse information about the vehicle, such as steering input, and the driver, such as heart rate and facial orientation, in order to detect and warn drivers about potentially dangerous indications. According to the Tokyo Police Department, the most common cause of traffic fatalities is drowsiness or absent-minded driving, while the second leading cause is inattentive driving. Cognitive distraction detection is expected to help significantly reduce fatalities because absent-minded driving is known to occur more often than drowsy driving. Insurance companies are always looking at ways of rating a driver. The number of accidents is one indication, but not all crashes are equal. If you have an accident in bad weather, are you less of a risk than if you crash in dry, clear conditions? A usage-based insurance smartphone application that has recently launched in the UK, Italy and Spain is using real-time weather data from two companies as a critical input to its driver behaviour scoring system. The new app uses a unique algorithm based on GPS point retrieving technology to gather journey information and rank each trip based on factors such as speed, braking and acceleration. It also takes into account outside variables often directly affected by weather, such as road and traffic conditions, to determine driver scoring. The Mayor of London has confirmed the conditions that taxi and private hire trades will be required to meet when the world's first ultra-low emission zone is introduced into the capital in 2020. From the 1st of January 2018, all taxis licensed for the first time must be zero emission capable, while new diesel taxis will not be allowed in London. The ultra-low emission zone will be in operation 24 hours a day, 7 days a week within the congestion charging zone. Drivers who do not comply will have to pay a daily charge. A road illuminating directional indicator lighting system has been designed to enhance pedestrian safety. According to research by the Institute for Traffic Accident Research Data Analysis, 70% of pedestrian fatalities on roads happened at night, so manufacturers are developing automotive lighting systems that draw attention to a vehicle's presence and the driver's intentions. Mitsubishi Electric has a new directional indicator system that illuminates road surfaces at night in order to inform pedestrians and other drivers of a vehicle's intended path forwards or backwards, or when turning, opening doors or making emergency stops. The system projects large illuminations onto the road surfaces, such as a special sign when a door is about to be opened, to help pedestrians quickly comprehend the driver's intentions. Last week we had a chat with Brent Davidson who'd been over to Japan and driven a couple of Subarus. While he was there he also stopped and had a look at the Tokyo Motor Show. What was it like? Well he joins us on the line to have a chat about it. Brent, it's very much a, a Japanese thing isn't it? It's, uh, there are 
a number of companies, particularly the Koreans, who don't really bother to turn up. That's right, David. Yeah, the, the, the Koreans stay away. You don't see a Ford Blue Oval anywhere. Um, Chevrolet, no bow ties around there. Very, very much the Japanese show. You, you will see the Audis and the Porsches and the Ferraris and thing because they are big sellers in Japan to the super high flyers. But other than that, look, it's, it's all... I'm going to use the word weird, but not in a bad way. It's the weird kind of stuff that, um, that the natives of Tokyo want to get into because when you live in a city that is, has a higher population than the entire population of Canada, you need to have something a little unusual for your, for your personal transportation. You can sort of get more dreams there. It's not just the practicality because I guess a lot of people won't get near a car. So it can be that dream of something that you might achieve as well, whether it be just the practical level or the super exotic. And if you're going to dream, why not dream the whole way? But also, David, the, the Japanese engineers and designers have come up with a way to sort of blend dreams in reality. I mean, there's some lovely stuff there that you could say, that could be in production next week or next month or next year. There are many cars that are like that, not just the one or two that, yeah, look, we're showing you a, um, a production-ready prototype or a production-ready concept. You're actually looking at cars, you can say, mate, that could be on the road next month. You talked about the exotic, of course. There is the Mazda RX Vision. Yeah, look, the, the RX Vision, this is, this is a car, I and mean, we all are familiar with the old RX 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, no, not the RX 6, that didn't exist, but you know where I'm going. The RX stood for rotary engine, and, and this is the latest take on where a rotary engined sports coupe might go for Mazda. I mean, officially they killed the, the, the rotary engine off as a production engine in 2012. That's not to say that they're not still uh, developing it with their sky active technology. And depending on who you listen to, it's got uh, laser ignition instead of uh, spark plugs and it's got direct fuel injection. There might be a little turbocharger blowing away at it. It might even actually be the thing that serves up the power as a um, for a range extender uh, plug-in hybrid. You know, there, there are many ways to go. And, and, the, and the really, really sad thing was the Mazda folks weren't actually telling us any of this. They were just saying, admire our car, which, by the way, looks beautiful, classic, long, long, long nose, short cabin and a, and a nice fastback tail. It's a little bit of uh, anything Aston Martin and perhaps a little bit of Ferrari California can do we can do as well yeah exactly but i mean the master guys they, they, they don't really care that they may have borrowed some elements from three or four other designers so they, they just want to showcase the car and, and in doing so showcase the engine which we're not going to see because it's tucked out of the bonnet there, there is a, that strange strange little mix that is the japanese motor industry right there <laughs> I wasn't being derogatory to it. I, I thought it was, you know, a nice balanced car. It is. Which it really is. can aspire to some of those top-of-the-range ones in terms of its elegance and look. In fact, a couple of Japanese car manufacturers were getting into that. Yamaha had a sports ride concept, which was sort of a, oh. a little bit of Lotus and uh, at the front looked a little bit, no, oh, I don't know, a, a, a cross between a McLaren and a, an Alpha 159. Yeah, and, and it is only a, a well, relatively tiny car. It's a beautiful looking thing. As you say, it's a little bit of Lotus, a little bit of McLaren. Yamaha has been building uh, motorcycle engines for years and, and in Japan when mainstream car manufacturers like Toyota want um, performance engines, they always have a chat to Yamaha. I mean, Yamaha builds uh, V8 engines for Volvo. That's where Yamaha takes its engineering levels to. So to actually come up with a car 
not that big a jump. And look, let's hope that this is just the, the one that, that finally makes it in, into production for this, this motorcycle manufacturer who wants to do what Suzuki and Honda have done before it. Talking of crossover, to a degree, we've seen a, quite a lot of small SUVs that really, in the design studio, are wonderfully exotic looking, sitting high on the wheels but with cut down roofs. We've never really seen them finally get into production. Perhaps their time are coming. Mitsubishi's EX, an electric vehicle, might be an example of that. It looked pretty sexy. It is a very sexy car, um, if you want to call an SUV sexy. But yeah, like, as you say, the, the low glass house, the, the, the big wheels, the high sides, it's got a sort of a, I don't know, feudal knight's helmet look about it, which in, in a good way. But yes, electric, they, again, they won't tell us a lot of detail like, other than the, the, the car itself. It has the suicide-style rear door, no middle pillar, so that when you open it up, you have this vast sort of oblong-shaped opening to make entry and exit very easy. They are that close, that close with electric cars. Uh, I was talking to one engineer and he said, we need to get two things done. We need to be able to get a 400-kilometre battery range and we need to be able to get 15 minutes charging. The little smile on his face suggested that they're not that far away on, on either count. Once we get those practical sorts of features, then I think they will just really boom. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, can you imagine, David, getting into your, your electric car that uh, has no tailpipe emissions, you can drive far enough in the morning, stop for lunch, and while you're having lunch, your car is on the charger. When you've finished your lunch, you come out, your car is full, you can complete the journey, and away you go. That's it. That's, it's that easy. It will, will, will be no more difficult than stopping at the servo and fueling up your car with petrol. The other thing it removes is the worry about running out. When you've only got 150 kilometres, they found this out that when they put more chargers in suburbs around a city, people tended to drive their electric cars more, but they rarely charged them on those chargers. It was just nice to know they were there, yep. and so they had a degree of confidence. Range anxiety will, for a long time, be the thing with electric cars, because when the fuel gauge goes to zero on your petrol car, you can actually go and walk to the nearest servo, and there are plenty of them, and, and buy $10 worth of fuel and bring it back and tip it in your car. You can't go to the nearest shop and buy a big case of Everready's and tip those down the, down the hole because it just doesn't work. If we can get that range anxiety out of the way, it's, it's a done deal with electric cars. And part of that anxiety is not having to spend hours charging. Yep. To being, as you said, to be able to, to get a good range in a up to 15-minute charge time. Exactly right. Exactly right. Now, if you want to still talk about strange cars, or, well, not that we'll call the Mitsubishi a strange car, but, but one of my little favourites was a Suzuki Mighty Deck. As soon as I saw the name of that, I began to worry, but uh, <laughs> did it remind you of things past? It did. It reminded me, obviously, of the, of the, of the Mighty Boy, so anybody who can re remember that, um, yeah, the, the, little, the little ute that um, terrorised Australian roads. I'll go be honest, I, I'd seen bigger eskies in my time, but, but the Mighty Deck sort of pays a little bit of a tribute to the, to the, to the Mighty Boy, but has a lot of wood panelling. Um, it has a, a, a rear uh, cargo deck that folds back up and becomes a bit of a dicky seat. You 
get a canvas roof that goes over that, that dicky seat area. There's a whole lot of nice things going on with this car. It will never become a production car, but it, gee, it was, you know, as, as a fun toy to look at. And, you know, you go to a motor show and there aren't that many cars that ever bring a smile to your face. This is one that did for me. I stood there and had a little bit of a grin and thought, good on you guys, and kept on going. Uh, it's memorable. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely memorable. I remember the Japanese put out at the Tokyo Motor Show some years ago a car which I described as looking like an electric razor with a toaster sitting on top. It had that sort of grill at the front and the base that looked like an, a square electric shaver yep. and this toaster-like thing on the front. And to this day, I remember it. <laughs> exactly right, exactly right. Well, I, I think I might be the same with the Mighty Deck. I'll never aspire to one, but, you know, I, I could, it gave me some amusement. Uh, we will get the boys, I think, to talk about a bit too, just to relive days of dicky seats and uh, <laughs> uh, that. They had the mini... Oh, well, also they had the... Uh, you were going to mention the Air Trizer there. Yeah, yeah, the Air Trizer. Um, look, when you, th- th- this is a Suzuki van, right? Much like the thing that every small hardware store has running around every small carpet shop, etc. Because it's been um, tricked up a little bit and, and one of those tricks was to have two big sliding doors on one side. Uh, again, no central B pillar and so what happens is you have a huge opening and it inside it has a, a wooden deck floor and a lounge suite basically. So you can actually sit in, in this in this car with your comfortable leather lounge suite, sit back, watch your video, play with your computer that's built in, blah, blah, blah. And when you're ready to drive off, you fold the seats back up into a, make it back into a six-seater car and away you go. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's that sort of convertible, so to speak, convertible. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. But again, look, it's it's not meant to be taken seriously. It's it's meant to be a fun thing. It 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 more or less shows off what their designers and engineers are capable of, and what versatility their vehicles can be given. You never know. That might be the future. Different needs and different things going on. Let alone if it becomes autonomous. Exactly right. Exactly right. There you go. I, I hadn't even thought of that, David. That's why you're on, on that end of the phone and I'm on this end. Well, overall, a very, very uh, interesting time, as they all are, and quirky, I think, and very Japanese. Well, let me, let me just say, David, that of, of the motor shows that I attend on an annual basis, Geneva at the start of the year um, really gives you a taster for what is to come. And the Japanese, the Tokyo Motor Show, at the, almost at the end of the year, is a nice little dessert and palate cleanser to see you out for the year. <laughs> well, I'm glad you enjoyed that. Uh, uh, yeah, perhaps it's a little bit like the old Mazda we drive in between test cars. I always call it my sorbet car. There you it go. Sort of, it cleanses the palate <laughs> and, uh, and allows you to get in there. Usually, always getting out of one test car and the other, it's always good to drive something in the in the middle that just cleans your, your palate. It brings you back to normal. Brent, lovely to talk to you. I always appreciate your time. David, it's always my pleasure. Brent Davidson, our good friend from the Newcastle Herald and the Illawarra Mercury, talking about the Tokyo Motor Show. Overdrive. If you have a question, suggestion or comment, send an email to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au.
Well, we talked with Brent Davidson about the more serious side of the Tokyo Motor Show. But like a lot of Japanese Tokyo Motor Shows, there is the unusual that often appears with it. And who better to talk about that than we have on the line, Brian Smith. Go, Brian. G'day, David. And Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. G'day, Brian. Now, let's go through a few of these, which we better try and describe a bit. The Toyota Kike. It's a car of sorts that is really meant to show the engineering side of a vehicle and so doesn't have uh, an enclosed body as much as a normal car. The creator, I believe, uh, Kazuo uh, Suama, uh, sees beauty in engineering, hence the concept of the exposed exoskeleton. Yeah, I think he forgot the uh, beauty part. <laughs> it, yeah, it, looks, uh, it looks unfinished. Well, it's also not a normal car. I mean, it looks like a cross between the Flintstones and the Wacky Racers. It does. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of got those um, exposed wheels with a little sort of separate mud guard. So they're kind of like a, for, like stick out like a Formula One cars but with a guard on top. and hot, Like a hot, hot rod, rod. It is a bit yeah. like a hot rod, isn't it? Front, yeah. That's about the only Formula One aspect <laughs> I would call for it. <laughs> it really is a, a sort of bubbly-looking little car. Now, ugly cars don't sell, so engineering's just not enough. And I'm an engineer. I, I speak against my own profession in one way, and I think this clearly shows that it's not enough. Uh, are you likely to be excited by the engineering of this vehicle? Um, look, I don't think so, David. I think, um, you know, I think practicality above all things. The whole question of, of how you'd wash it and how much uh, road grime and animals and insects would get inside the mechanicals because the kind of bonnets the engines exposed and things like that would annoy the heck out of me it would be a devil of a thing to clean that's very old-fashioned isn't it but <laughs> but it's true I, I like the idea i mean really motor shows are about concepts and, and getting people thinking in a sense it's kind of like your your crustacean of cars you know so the, mm. the kind of skeleton's quite exposed but uh look i don't think you'd ever see it in production i like the sliding door david Oh, okay, yes. Mm. It's got a little... So it's not about the, a normal car. And the thing that I think it misses a lot is something like being able to look at it, from what I can see here, and say, how on earth do you run all the cables through a car? How do you put that all together? This just seems a little bit like a funky car with hot rod wheels and the engine exposed a bit. I... Might appeal to the young people. Mm. <laughs> the young folks. Yes. Yeah, it's been described as a, as a gawky homegrown beach buggy, which I think that's just about sums it up. And I was a bit confused when I first saw the picture as to which was the front. It's ah. just that, that gives an idea of just how odd the shape is. The, is, the, the front cars. windscreen is uh, almost vertical. There's a few cars in the Japanese uh, motor show, the Tokyo motor show, that have the same thing. Difficult to tell uh, front from back. Kikai actually has a few different meanings in Japanese. One is uh, the recounting of unusual experiences, so an unusual, outrageous, ex mysterious experience, a chance, opportunity. But it also means machine mechanism. So um, I think it's, it's certainly uh, at least possibly more apt than most Australian car names. Yeah, so there's, there's a couple other models that, from Suzuki which have that, that similar issue where you're not really sure which one's the front. Either way, it's ugly from, it's ugly from either end. Well, our, our colleague Brent had a drive of some Subarus while he was over there, and one is the Visiv, V-I-Z-I-V, which is a palindrome. It's, uh, it's the same forward as back, which made me wonder whether you could have drive it in either direction and no one would know. 
Now, look, I've been uh, saying for years that they've been doing artist impressions of small SUV-type crossover vehicles that are really exotic-looking. Now we're actually seeing some that may come to fruition. I refer, of course, to the Mitsubishi EX, uh, which is an electric vehicle, which makes it different from some other reasons. But it has this real arty look about it with the big wheels, a, a solid body, and a cut-down roof. Mm, it looks like, looks like something out of a video game, the way it's lit. The, sort of the, the, rear, the rear quarter panel is, is black, so it kind of looks like the, the roof line comes from the front and just sort of hovers over the back of the it does. Oh. Yeah, the black bit on the panel um, makes it look like it just hangs there in uh, in space. Yeah, David, yeah. I think I think Range Rover could sue because it, uh, it looks very much like their uh, the sort of latest fastback sort of Range Rover. Oh, okay. Yeah, perhaps we're moving in that direction. And the other one that did that, uh, Toyota. Now, Toyota, um, we'll test the Mazda CX three uh, next week. And it is a classic example of a small SUV, but uh, the Toyota doesn't have one. They've got this proposal. We won't see it for over a year, perhaps. But, gee, I tell you what, it looks a bit different, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? I'm not sure if we'll ever see it, David, in Australia, unless they can change the uh, rear end. Uh, Because it sort of looks like, uh, I don't know, the brake lights are um, sort of floating. They almost look like handles hanging off the back. It looks like it's almost part of the wing. Yeah, really, it's doesn't a it? disappointed wing. Yes, <laughs> I, th- I think they they um they perhaps took some styling cues from the Nissan Duke. That's not really a compliment. Um. <laughs> <laughs> How do you see out the back? The the rear windscreen looks like a letterbox slot. <laughs> uh. The look at the back of this Toyota, to my mind, looks like a cross between a Lamborghini and a Ford car. Do you remember those yes. old Ford yes. cars? Yeah, there's a bit of that you know, sort there, of yeah. droopy on either side. Yeah. But it's got the Lamborghini trying to do angles and vents and, and inserts and things uh, to make it look a little different. I don't know if they're meant to be vents, but that sort of there's there's some holes on either side which kind of look like that's where the brake lights were meant to go. <laughs> You get that. It's a little bit like the Star Wars, uh, the Millennium Falcon, yeah. You know, it's yes. got angles and bits and pieces all over it, and you've got no idea why. <laughs> Gentlemen, that's uh, lovely reflections, both practical and quirky, uh, and I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank all you. Right. And that's Errol Smith and Brian Smith, and we were talking about the Tokyo Motor Show. We'll play more of that panel discussion next week with the boys, but you can also hear a full version on our website at drivenmedia.com.au. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, Brian Smith, Brent Davidson and Paul Just for the great help during the program. Overdrive is syndicated to stations across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.